Writing well is the pursuit of a lifetime. You may be at mile marker one of this wonderful life journey and thinking for the first time about embracing the life of a writer. Or maybe you're further along and ready to publish some of your ideas. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are fellow travelers on this extended road trip to improve our writing and publish our ideas. We hope this podcast helps you make progress on your writing journey. Now, let's buckle up and write. At Journey 66, Dave and I talk about the three mountains an author has to climb to publish a book, the writing of the book, the publishing of the book, and the promotion of the book. While the writing of the book is a steep climb, promoting your book is an even steeper, more arduous climb. Promoting your book starts with creating an audience for your book, and that begins with building a platform. Ideally, you'll have a robust platform when you publish your book. That means you need to get started building your platform now. Today's guest, Stephanie Chandler, is an expert on author marketing and platform building. She is the author of multiple books, including The Author's Guide to Building an Online Platform and The Nonfiction Book Marketing Plan. Today, Stephanie will offer advice for authors on starting and sustaining an online platform and how that platform helps you market your book. Welcome, Stephanie, to our podcast. We are thrilled to have you here today. So we're going to start out with something that should be really easy for you to talk about, and that is about yourself and your journey to becoming an expert in platform building for nonfiction authors and also marketing for nonfiction authors. Thank you for having me, Melissa. So this all started for me back in 2004 when I was writing my first business book, and I had an agent say, I like what you're doing, but nobody knows who you are. If you want publishers to talk to you, you need to go out and build an audience. And so I did that. I built a website. I blogged before blogging was a thing. And I self-published that first book. And then a year later, I was able to show I had this high traffic website and an email list. And I was able to land a book deal and sign with an agent and get a couple of more book deals. And then over the years, I was working with a lot of authors and I was speaking at writers conferences and I was realizing almost none of these events talk to nonfiction writers. And I was like, where are my people? In 2010, I held the first nonfiction writers conference entirely online. Nobody was really doing that yet. And by the way, we didn't have Zoom then. We were doing teleconferences with 18 speakers over three days. And then over the years, we morphed into using Zoom, but we've been doing that ever since. And then the conference attendees were saying, how do we keep in touch when this is over? And so the Nonfiction Authors Association was born from that in 2013, and I've been having a fantastic ride ever since. So you've written many books, as you alluded to. Two in particular caught our attention, the first one being one that you wrote how many years ago? I think you said 15 years ago, The Author's Guide to Building an Online Platform. That was a long, long time ago. It might have been like 2007 or something like that. You are ahead of the curve on that. And then your most recent book, The Nonfiction Book Marketing Plan. So we're really interested in how book marketing intersects with platform building. But first, can you tell us what is an author's online platform and how is platform building different than it was 
say 15 years ago or 20 years ago? Platform is really just a fancy word for audience. So when an, a publisher or an agent says, what's your platform? They're looking for how many people are you reaching? And I figured this out myself when I went ahead and self-published that first book, I was building my audience at the same time. And because I had subscribers, they bought the book. And I thought, oh, this is what publishers are talking about. They want you to have an audience so that you can sell books. And, you know, really what's changed over the years, you still need an audience. In some ways, it's easier. In some ways, it's harder. There's a lot more competition for attention online today, right? With We didn't have social media back when I was starting all of this. We were whispering about MySpace at the time. So things have changed. And I think podcasting is actually one of my favorite mediums for writers in particular as a way to grow your audience and reach more people because that's really come a long way and it's not quite as saturated as some of the other platform building activities like blogs and, and videos and Instagram, for example. So when you started out, you talked about primarily blogging and were you cognizant of search engine optimization when you started blogging and tell us about your journey to building your own platform and how aware you were of all the things that you needed to do it to actually get a readership or was it by trial and error? Uh, kind of all of the above. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing, quite frankly, at the beginning, but I read something about SEO and I couldn't even tell you if it was a book or an article, but I really got very curious and I studied SEO. And so I built this website. And back then I was writing about small business. So I, I built this site and blogging wasn't a thing yet. So when I would create an article for the site, it was very tedious. I'd have to create a new page. It wasn't on WordPress. It was quite a process. But what I noticed was every time I added a new article or a new piece of content, I got more traffic, right? And so I kept testing these things. Well, I got more traffic. Oh, when the recession came, I was writing about doing business in recession and and media were finding me and interviewing me because I had optimized the site. I was really focused on keywords and I was producing a lot of content. So yeah, I was really focused on the SEO aspect. And honestly, one of the easiest ways to optimize is lots and lots of content. So tell me this. I think when authors are unfamiliar with platform building and blogging in particular, we'll start there. They don't understand how to create new content separate from the book project that they're working on. So how do you help authors frame blogging and what they should be writing about, or even on social media, if they're using that as a way to communicate? I get this all the time, right? Because writers say, but I'm already writing and I have a day job and I have other responsibilities. But my philosophy is if you were to see the benefits of taking time to blog and to do a little bit of posting on social media. I'm not an over advocate of social media. I think it's been a little bit oversold to us, but the content piece is hugely important. So my advice is figure out a way to make it easy for yourself. Carve out an hour a week to write two posts and pre-schedule them or you know, record a podcast episode or batch things as much as possible. And then as far as social media goes, I think that it is definitely overhyped. I think a lot of authors just hate that they even have to deal with it. So my advice is choose one or two at the most where your audience is spending time 
and do those well, because you don't need to be everywhere at all, all the time. And I think that's putting a lot of pressure on authors. What I hear you saying is very significant, which is still, it's best for an author to have an author website where he or she is blogging regularly, or at least posting the show notes of the podcast he or she is doing, because that repeated content, Google comes in and slurps up all your keywords and all your, however it is you're instrumenting your site. And that actually has more long-term staying power than say, spending a ton of time on even one social media platform. It's really hard. I mean, I'm telling you as a I built a fly fishing podcast, became one of the largest in the industry, but we, only, we decided we were only going to do the podcast and drive them to the website and a little bit of Facebook. But the only reason we did that is because a lot of fly fishers back in the day were, were, on fly, were on Facebook, the older ones, obviously. But that's a really significant point. And do you, would you agree with that, that really focus on your, your own platform? Yes, Dave, really excellent point. I really feel that authors need to choose one foundational piece of content marketing for their number one strategy, and that should be driving traffic to your own site, as you said. And for a lot of us, it's still blogging. I'm still a super fan of blogging. Google gives a lot more priority to sites that are updated frequently. So whether it's blogging or putting your podcast episode into blog posts, or YouTube. To me, those are kind of the top three. So YouTube videos, which you can also put into blog posts with some added content, then you're showing Google your site is relevant. Every time you create a new post, you give your followers a reason to find you. And the more content you're creating, the more relevant your site becomes not only to Google, but to the people you are targeting as your readers. So tell me more about what you say to people when they say, I only have space for social media, (laughs) how can they optimize social media besides picking one platform or two where your audience is, but how can they make the most of that? Well, I mean, really it comes down to, are you spending time where your audience is? Because I think a lot of people get this wrong as well. TikTok's getting a ton of buzz right now, but still the average user age is under 30. So if you're writing a book on how to spend your retirement years, your audience is not on TikTok. So you want to be really clear about that. If you're targeting a business audience, you should for sure be leveraging LinkedIn. Facebook's a good general audience, but the thing is you're going to spend money there in order to to get reach. You do have to invest in ads. It is pay to play. So I don't know that there's any one strategy. It's about where your audience is and then delivering value to them. And I see this a lot with especially new writers who think, well, everyone will love my book. And that is not true. There is not a single book ever written that has an ideal audience of everybody. So you've got to get super clear about who is that audience. And then my philosophy, especially for those of us who write nonfiction is how do you serve that audience? How do you deliver value through your social media posts and your blog and your podcast and your YouTube or whatever it is you're doing? How do you address their challenges, their needs, and their interests? Let's talk a little bit about delivering value versus not delivering value. So maybe could you, could you even be specific, give an example, like let's say I'm doing a, 
I'm writing on the topic of leadership, which is such a general topic, right? Talk about how I might not deliver value for my audience. Well, I love that you bring up leadership because I use it a lot as an example. There's a ton of leadership books out there, right? And you can say my leadership book is for everybody, but it absolutely is not for everybody. And honestly, before you write that book, I would hope that you're thinking about that target audience and trying to narrow that focus. So what if it's leadership book for people in the hospitality industry or who work in tech or for college students who want to, you know, attain leadership positions? And then once you know that audience, Dave, every piece of content you create should speak to that audience, should attract them to your site so that you are building your community of followers. You're saying in general, don't add content on your website that isn't in your wheelhouse specifically on that topic of leadership. Yeah, a a thousand percent. Correct. Because you can also confuse your audience. And I hear this all the time from authors. I've been blogging for months and I'm not getting any traffic. And then I'll go look at the blog and it's like, well, here's a post about the vacation I just went on. And here's a recipe for I found online and it has absolutely nothing to do with the target audience, nor is it interesting to them. So I believe in figuring out what are the challenges your audience has? How can you solve those challenges? And just being really clear about the kinds of content they're interested in. Another trick I love to use, what questions is your audience asking you? I mean, if I can't answer a question with a piece of content, I have a running list on my desk and it will go on the list and it becomes an article or a report or a podcast episode because you want to be reaching your target audience. And if one person has that question, others do as well. That's a really great insight. I'm curious about what you tell people when they ask, is my platform successful if I have so many followers or so many people hitting my site? How do you measure the success of a platform? Is it a number? Is it engagement? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, if you put yourself in the shoes of a literary agent, it's engagement because you can say, I have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram, but maybe your stuff's not getting liked or watched or Twitter, whatever it is. So they're going to look at engagement, but it also really depends on your topic area. So if you have a smaller niche topic, so let's say it's gluten-free living, right? You don't need as large of an audience as if you're trying to reach maybe a general small business audience. That's a huge audience. And there's a ton of competition, which is another reason to niche down. How do you encourage authors who are not seeing the lift that they want as quickly as they want? I know you give them a real strategy for doing that by answering questions, adding value. But we always say it often takes about three years really to see that lift that you think, yes, I've arrived. So what do you say to authors when they're just getting incrementally bigger and they're not getting huge followings? How do you encourage them in those moments? Well, I mean, you should start seeing some activity within the first six months. And if you're not, something is off with your marketing, right? So you're not reaching the right people. Your message isn't getting out far enough. So there's, those are things to look at, but you're right. Melissa, it takes years for it really to kick in the gear, but incrementally you can have wins. And I would say, shake it up, add more strategies, right? So 
maybe you're feeling like things are kind of stagnant, go get yourself booked on some podcast interviews. Go get yourself some guest blog posts on the industry websites that your your readers are spending time on, right? So come up with some fresh new content marketing strategies to reach your audience. But how big of a following do you have to have? Let's say, let's say you want to write a book on spirituality. It's a narrow book. It's a niche, kind of a narrow, narrow window or band of, of what you're writing on. If you said to an agent, you land an agent, an agent say, or you, you talk to an agent, and an agent says, you know, tell me about your following. And you say, well, I've got 4,000 people on my email list, and I, we have X amount of visits to the website, and I typically get 10 comments to every post. Is that substantive enough? Is it, is it the number of email addresses? Is it traffic? What, what will make the eyes of an agent light up? Agents care about numbers. And I would say 10,000 is kind of where they're, they start to perk up. So, oh, you have 10,000 email subscribers. That's interesting. Social media numbers need to be bigger than that. So that's why I always say, if you want to accelerate this, if you really want to stand out for the sake of an agent, or you just want to fast track this, if you can find some budget you can invest in Facebook ads and build your list with free giveaways or webinars or things like that. So there, that's a way to fast track it is to use those ads wisely. I don't use Facebook ads just to promote blog posts. I use them to promote free stuff and events because that's how you really grow your email lists. Are you seeing any decline in Facebook ads? Like response rates or it's more diluted. What is your current experience with Facebook? They've been so frustrating. We've used them heavily for a number of years. Last year, they got really, really weird and harder to target. We're having better experiences with them this year, but it's gotten more expensive. So for every lead, it's more like three to $5. It used to be a dollar was our average, right? So it's changing, it's shifting, but then Facebook just posted their first loss in profits, right? Ever. So they're going to have to make some changes. And my hope is they're going to make those ads perform better because they need us. They need us to be advertising. Have you used Google ads to any success? A little bit. Yeah. We use them to promote our book awards program. We have a nonfiction book awards program and those have performed really well for us. Do you have any other strategies for list building besides Google ads, Facebook ads? What other strategies do you encourage authors to use to build that email list? Free stuff. So uh, free downloads, checklists, reports, booklet of recipes, whatever it is your target audience is interested in, don't just create one lead magnet, create a dozen of them. Create one a month if that sounds easier, but put those all up on your website. We have a section on the association site for freebies because you may not be interested in report one, two, or three, but report four has your name on it. And that means you're going to sign up and download that report. Uh, Free events, free webinars have been a really good strategy for us. We promote them with ads, but they get shared, they get, and then you have to register and therefore sign up for the email list. Speaking at events, collect email addresses. I always stop halfway through a presentation. I pass around a bag and say, drop your card in. I'll give away some books at the end. So there's lots and lots of fun strategies to build that list. 
I really hear you saying that it, at the end of the day, it's the email list. Well, honestly, if I had to pick either social media or email, I'll take email all day long. On social media, you are on rented real estate. And even though your email list, you're, you're borrowing the tool to deliver your emails, you still own your data. And we had, we had this experience a year ago, Twitter shut us down. We lost 23,000 followers overnight. No reason. We weren't out there talking about politics or anything like that. Just evaporated into thin air. And I spent a month trying to get it back. So you just don't know. And by the way, email people are more prone to pay attention because if I post something on Twitter at 7am and you don't log in until two o'clock, you haven't seen what I posted, right? But with email, we have a captive audience. People are giving us permission to market to them. We want to take that very seriously and deliver lots of value in that email list. So tell us about marketing your book as an author. We always talk about there's a period before the book release where you need to be marketing. And then there's the release of the book where it's newsworthy. And then there's the the period afterwards, the long slog to marketing it. But can you talk about how you engage your audience prior to the launch of the book? What, what should your marketing plan include in that phase of the book process? I love to utilize beta readers. I did this with my last book launch and it was such a rewarding experience. Beta readers are basically people that you give early access to your manuscript. Some writers do this because they want to get feedback. I did this because I wanted to build a tribe of people who were going to shepherd the book and help get the word out. So when I did my call for beta readers, I thought, well, I want to get 100 people who get early access and we'll talk about it. And I ended up having 400 people apply and I decided to accept all of them. And Hmm. those people ended up being my great champions when the book came out. They were posting on social media. They were putting reviews up on Amazon. I was really touched by the fact that several of them bought the book. They didn't have to, but they bought the book so that then their review was showing up as a verified purchase on Amazon. And just getting the feedback and the love online was very rewarding. I will do it for every book I ever release. So that's one really important strategy, Melissa. Also, if you have some semblance of an audience, if you have a decent following, I I would suggest that you do a pre-sale and accumulate sales. So you can put your book up for pre-sale on Amazon for a couple of weeks or several months and accumulate sales that count on the day that the book is launched. And that can put you on hot new releases, all kinds of things. So those are some of the strategies that I like for building that momentum. And how often do you communicate through newsletters or email communication leading up to the launch of the book? I say, try to make it as fun as possible and not annoy people, right? It's same with your social media. You know, you don't want to be on there going, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book all day long. That's like walking into a cocktail party and shouting at everybody. And it's the same thing with your email, right? So you want to offer value and then you want your sales value and then some sales so that people want to open what you're sending them. That's really important. If you've built that kind of following that you did, and we did this with our podcast, do you kind of get to the point where we say, you know what, maybe I should just self-publish this, do the audible myself, do everything myself, 
do you, do you ever struggle with that? Like at some point, what do the publishers actually do? Dave, I left traditional publishing on purpose because after my third book, I was like, why am I, I'm already doing all the work anyway. I have an audience. I'm building my audience. I'm doing it every day. I lost all control. I had a title change. I had a book cover I didn't like. The last publisher called me and said, we need you to remove two chapters from the book. We don't care which ones we're trying to cut costs. I mean, that is just torture to a writer. I turned it into lemonade and made them free downloads for the readers, but I thought I am never letting that happen again. So yeah, I am absolutely an advocate of self-publishing or working with a hybrid publisher and getting that book professionally produced. That's the key here Uh, because anybody can publish today and that's a gift, but the downside is anybody can publish today and there's no real standards. So it's really important to invest in good editing and cover design and all the things that make it great. So can you talk then about the marketing that you should be doing the week of your launch and the six weeks during which it's newsworthy? Can you talk a little bit about that? So you kind of want to create some consistent messaging across your social media, your email, your blog, maybe you're publishing excerpts and you're putting those out there. Book yourself on some podcasts. I think this is a, such a missed opportunity for writers. I think probably a lot of us read Atomic Habits by James Clear. I loved that book. He booked himself on 500 podcast interviews the year that book came out. 500. And, that and they book- probably weren't all big ones, right? I mean, I think that no. that's what we like to tell our writers. Go to the small ones too, because you never know what that fire that will light. <laughs> that's absolutely true. And I, if I have the choice between morning drive time radio and a podcast, I'll take a podcast all day long because podcasts have a long lifespan. You'll, you'll be on longer. People tend to have their phones with them. They might go and buy it where otherwise they're sitting in their car or whatever. So there's lots of benefits in doing that. So any secret sauce in landing podcast interviews? Is it just ask and you shall receive? Have you found any hacks or ways to to maybe to make sure you get onto some of these podcasts? Yeah. So I hear because, by the way, uh, the association, we put out media leads every Friday for our members. And a huge chunk of that is podcasts because what I hear from so many podcasters saying, we need guests. Why aren't people pitching us? Now, top tier podcast, Brene Brown is not looking for guests to pitch her, right? (laughs) However, you can pitch her. She does accept the submissions, but the small and mid-sized podcasts are seeking guests. And so I tell authors, go online, look at the podcasts that are reaching your target audience. Treat iTunes like a search engine. Look for keywords related to your target audience and topics from your book and find out what shows are talking about that. Search for competing authors. Where are they being interviewed? And then go to the website for each show and look for submission guidelines. Nine times out of 10, they're right there and they're looking for them. And I always like to pitch with a few topics. Hey, you know, your show is great. I'd love to be a guest. And here are a few topics that we could cover. The topics are not about the book. The topics are about the value to that show's target audience. Say that again, because I think you just said something 
That is so important to pitching. Say that again. That is so good. The topics that you're pitching to any media is never about your book. It's about the value to that media outlet's target audience. I think we tend to turn into me monsters when we write something and mm-hmm. that's you have to have the same mindset that you have when you're blogging or creating any sort of content where's the value for the audience but what i also hear you saying is it's hard work marketing is hard work and you you can't become weary i mean how how do you just impart that to people what what can you say to people when they feel like giving up because like i don't want to ask another podcast to be on their show. How do you not grow weary of the marketing of your book and finding opportunities to get it out in front of people? I think part of it just depends on how motivated you are and how much you really want to do this. I suggest every single author hire a virtual assistant. I think virtual assistants are the greatest gift to authors. These are contract workers that work from their own homes and do administrative tasks. You can hire someone between $20 and $50 an hour on average who can do all those things you're procrastinating about, who can go out and send your podcast pitches, who can manage some of your social media posts, who can help organize your blog content. And so let's say you invest $200 a month and free up five or six hours of your own time that's a really good investment. And so that's one way to help get that momentum, keep it moving while you're focusing on what you do best. So was there ever a time when you, let's just say your most recent book, and I want you to plug it again. What was the name? What's the name of your book again? So it's the nonfiction book marketing plan. And then there's also the nonfiction book publishing plan, which is actually my most recent. So was there a moment when you were promoting those where you felt discouraged? Maybe you hit the proverbial dip, as Seth Godin talks about in his book, The Dip. Talk about that and how you pushed through. That's a great question. I will say I didn't with those books because I've learned, right? But with previous books, absolutely. So one of my traditionally published books got really great reviews. It didn't sell for squat. And I'll tell you why. It was too broad of an audience. I should have narrowed the focus. So that book really struggled to gain momentum. Early on, I absolutely had those those frustrations. Now my focus is less on book sales and more about reach, right? And you've mentioned a lot of your writers are writing books to support their business and things like that. So there's other value that comes from your books. Maybe it's getting you on speaking engagements or dialed in with nonprofit agencies or or getting you consulting gigs because you're mailing out copies to prospects. So in that case, the book really pays for itself. And it's less about how many copies you're selling and more about the impact that book is making. So tell us then about this, this long period. I mean, you're still selling copies of earlier books and what, how do you continue to sell those books after it's no longer newsworthy? It's the the big push at the beginning is over. How do you continue to get in front of people? I continue to grow my audience. So I'm always creating new content. We're building social media. We're shift, we're shaking things up. So we recently launched a YouTube channel and 
We're putting videos up on there. We have a podcast as well. So always shaking things up. My focus is less on buy the book that's six years old and more about the most recent book and then other services and products. But I would say don't don't sit and wait for it to come to you. You've got to go out and all of marketing is testing. It's what works for one may not work for another. So there's a little bit of that throwing spaghetti at the wall. But when you're throwing that spaghetti and something sticks, do more of that. Would you ever recommend an author hire a PR agency or do you think that's a waste of money? I think it's a waste of money for a lot of writers, but not everybody. So first of all, lots of people have endless budgets. And if that's the case, great. But don't ever expect to earn back your investment in PR in book sales because it just doesn't equal. PR is expensive. It starts around $2,500 a month. And usually they want a multi-month commitment to get you on media. And then media will disappoint you because you might get a great interview. I've been on MSNBC. I've been in Entrepreneur. I've been in Wired Magazine. Those didn't all lead to book sales, right? So it, it's fun. It's good for your resume. Like if you're trying to build some credibility for your consulting or your speaking business, media looks great, but it will not always equate to book sales. What was your biggest media win that translated to book sales? Is there any that you can point to, or is it just the cumulative effect of being in lots of different outlets on lots of different podcasts and lots of <laughs> online platforms? I would say podcasts have gotten me more sales than major media. So I mentioned Wired Magazine. I was so excited when that article was coming out. They had reached out to me. It was based on my book at the time. It was from entrepreneur to infopreneur. And it was about selling digital products online. And I had this full sidebar off the front page cover story with a picture of my book in the article. And I don't think we sold more than 30 books from that article. It was so disappointing. But podcasts, I can see the lift. I can see the results that come from that. And I think because they're more niche focused and they reach, I know what's going to reach my target audience. I'm not going to go do a podcast about cooking, right? That's not my audience, but I'll do a podcast for writers or business people who potentially will write books because I can have an impact and I can build my audience that way. So here's a question that is back to the blogging piece and not everybody's going to blog. Some will do podcasts, some will maybe do short video clips, but let's say you're blogging. You've decided that I'm going to blog regularly instrument. I'm going to instrument every page for SEO. I'm just going to be consistent. What is consistency? Is it three times a week, shorter posts? Is it one time a week that maybe a 600 word post? Is it, do you ever do long form, something that's like 1500 words or longer? What kind of rhythm should I think about if I'm, let's say that I'm an author, that I have an idea for a book and I'm, I listen to this episode, I think, man, I have, I'm going to start blogging. How consistent should I be and how frequent should I be? So statistically, the more often you blog, the more traffic your site receives. So keep that in mind. The more often you blog, the more traffic your site will receive. So pay attention to those traffic numbers with Google Analytics. I always recommend start with one post a week, but really aim for two to three because it just gets back to the more content, the better, especially if you're reaching your target audience. And we don't have to create all our own content. 
You can invite peers, customers, clients, readers, whatever, come up with ways that they can contribute interesting content to the blog. Back when I was writing for small business, I had an interview form. Tell us about your small business. People love to fill them out and people loved to read them. So they ended up becoming really popular pieces of content on the site that took us no time to curate. It was so easy to get that content and keep it really interesting. So for blogging, is WordPress still really the best platform for that? It is. Yeah, it's the gold standard. All right. I have one final question to close out this interview. So many authors get into writing, not all authors, but so many authors get into writing a book because it's something they dreamed of and they have this vision of what a writer's life is like, and they don't really embrace the business side of publishing and what being an author is. How do you help them reconcile the two, the reluctant platform building marketing author? I really believe that you should treat your book like a business. And there's lots of reasons to do that. First of all, tax savings. If you go and get a business license with your county office, you can claim business deductions. And that could be the cost of your memberships with writing associations and the costs for publishing and editing and all the things that go into it. I think it's a couple of years before the IRS would call it a hobby if you're not doing a profit. But why not establish it as a business and really treat it that way or put it under the umbrella of your current business for a lot of people who are already entrepreneurs. And I think it just shifts the focus of the book to treat it like this is my business. And every day I need to do maybe three things to build my business. I love to use this as an example because I hate gardening. I don't like the dirt. I don't like the bugs. I really hate the heat, but I like the results of gardening and I have a really pretty yard because of it, but I just dread it. And a lot of people feel that way about marketing, but what would happen if I walked out of my yard every day and I planted three seeds, right? Over time, those are going to grow. And if you can do the same thing with your marketing and plant three seeds every day, I promise you that adds up. That is a great note to end on. Thank you so much for being with us today. This has been so insightful in so many ways and so helpful for our audience. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, Dave, let's turn to our words of the episode. I think that you have a good one today, so I want you to go first. (laughs) So I'm going to preface what I'm going to say with, I read this in this book I'm reading, Catherine the Great. I've been reading this book for a long time because I read just short amount of it. And I read it like this morning, I read it for 30 minutes, but it's this big, thick biography of Catherine the Great by Robert Massey. So I'm mentioning this book all the time, but he used the word cuckold. And the word cuckold means a man whose spouse has committed adultery. And in, in the book, or in the person, Catherine the Great, she marries this heir to the Russian throne. That's why the current empress got them together and made, it was, a, it was a, an arranged marriage. This guy, I think he was the niece of, of the empress. And so this Catherine has to marry this guy at 16 or 17. So They get married, and I don't think they ever sleep together. They all have serial affairs with other people, and she has at least three children 
at least in one of those, maybe a miscarriage with other men with whom she's had these relationships. So he uses the phrase that Peter, her husband, is a cuckold because, she, and she would be a cut queen because just as she, she has been unfaithful, he has been unfaithful. So it's only used with men. It's not attributed to females who have affairs. It's only attributed to men. So cuckold is the male term and cut queen is the female term. Well, we have two words of the episode by Dave Getz. Sorry about that. <laughs> Bonus word. <laughs> Mine is going to sound pretty boring. I'll give you my word. It's appricate, A-P-R-I-C-A-T-E, appricate. And it means to bask in the sunshine. So my cat finds any opportunity to appricate, even if it means lying on something hard, like a side table, which she does often. I'm like, couldn't you find a pillow? No, I want the sun and I want to lay here where it's hard. Or I appricate in my garden in the morning, drinking my coffee and doing wordle. So bask in the sunshine. It's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. And it's a wonderful word to describe it. <laughs> I've never heard of that word. I don't think you do this all the time. That's amazing. Appricate. Well, I love it. Appricate. I, I can see like Annie Dillard using that in some of her writing just perfectly. We both have interesting words. All right. <laughs> so what a great episode today was. I hope that all of our listeners are as motivated as you and I are to continue building our online presence and get back to blogging, get back to writing things that our audience really will benefit from. I think that was my big takeaway. What was yours, Dave? It's building the website and focusing on your own platform. In other words, not just social media, but your own website, collecting that visitor data through quizzes or some lead magnet. And, and I think the other is just doing it consistently. It doesn't have to be long blog posts. I think if you look at Seth Godin, who's done one every day for the last, what, 20 years, sometimes they're just short. You know, there's a hundred words or less. All right. Well, I think that that is a wrap for this episode. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write. 